Fridays, gratitude. The action, giving. The outcome, being present. The attitude, humility. Gratitude is the wine for the soul. Take a second to think about how a thank you changes the dynamic of any situation. If you're in traffic and let someone pass you, what's better than that wave out the window before they take off? Now imagine that same scenario, but instead of a wave out the window, they just keep driving. Obviously, there's something to be said about being a good person just for the sake of being a good person. Now take another second to think about the three major religions of Christianity, Islam, and Judaism and how they celebrate their major holidays. Christians have the warm feeling of Christmas, Muslims have the transformative month of Ramadan, and Jewish people around the world enjoy the gracious eight days of Hanukkah. In all three, there is an energy in the air that creates some of people's most nostalgic moments. Even if you're the one giving the gifts instead of receiving, there's an undeniable collective joy and sense of peace. Like most good things, this magic has a designated time, but that doesn't mean the other 11 months have to completely lack it. What makes these holidays so special is not the gift giving, that magical feeling, as the title character learned in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, comes without ribbons, it comes without tags, it comes without packages, boxes, or bags. Apart from astrophysics, the magic that surrounds that time comes in the collective feeling of gratitude. Gratitude for the ability to give, for the chance to receive. Gratitude for another spiritual new year, for those who follow aforementioned faiths. Gratitude for the sense of community and family. That's why holiday movies are so popular. They bring people together from different walks of life around a singular subject. The holidays are special because it's the time when people are outwardly grateful and gracious. Gratitude, or as Merriam-Webster defines it, the quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness, mentions an exchange in the definition. Part of feeling grateful is being gracious because the exchange empowers people's emotional state, or what some refer to as spirits. If you don't believe in chakras or energies, that's completely fine. But it is impossible to deny the sense of community that stems from the holiday season. So how do we bottle that magic up and use it throughout the rest of the year? We don't. Because the beauty of those times is an exclusivity. One of the reasons quote unquote Christmas time is special is because it's designated as a season in the year. If every day felt like Christmas, we'd eventually treat it like a Monday. As humans, we're pre-programmed to grow unsatisfied with most things that currently satisfy us. It allows us to grow and change because if we enjoyed the same thing over and over again, there would be no need for innovation. We're wired to chase novelty, but most things we chase are moving and seemingly evading us. The only way to truly be satisfied is to hold on to the one thing that's constant, change. Most have heard the saying, the only thing that's constant in this world is change, at least once or twice. So why do we feel the need to hoard moments of euphoria and nostalgia? It's as if we're on a train, 
whizzing by the city and trying to focus on everything that catches our eye. It's maddening. Yogis teach it, gurus preach it, and if you search on YouTube, you'll see tens of millions of people seek it. I'm talking about being present, in the moment, and at one with everything happening. This ability to detach from what was and what will be is what's described as a heightened state of conscience. This heightened state is what many people call being in the zone, as it is what the field of positive psychology calls the flow state. The flow state is defined as the mental state in which a person performing some activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement, and enjoyment in the process of the activity by Merriam-Webster. It goes on to say, in essence, flow is characterized by the complete absorption in what one does and a resulting transformation in one's sense of time. I'll get into quantum physics in another book because honestly, I don't know too much about it right now. But for this moment, what the flow state is speaking of is a direct relationship to our mind's ability to make time relative. Countless athletes have described these moments where they've made superhuman plays at times where they were in the zone or in the flow state. The morning of April 22nd, 2018, I got ready for my final shoot around as a pro player in Poland. At the time, we didn't know it, but the game that took place that night would be our last together. The season had come down to a four-way tie, and the final two spots in the playoffs came down to three games. If parlayed the right way, our team would have clinched the eighth and final spot. All we knew for certain was that losing that game would ensure the season ended. At shoot-around, I gravitated towards my teammates James Washington III and Siobhan Lewis. Both James and Siobhan were older and more experienced in the game than me, having played more years of basketball professionally. On the court, they were player coaches, guiding our team through actions and words alike. Off the court, they were Statler and Waldorf, constantly arguing about or laughing at someone else's misfortune. The only thing that was certain when we got together was that they were going to disagree at some point and spend the rest of the night arguing about it. I couldn't have been gifted with more entertaining, insightful, and infuriating teammates, but I'm proud to say they were like my older brothers that year. We talked about the different possibilities of the playoff brackets and how we matched up with the top two seeds. Scenario after scenario, they went back and forth about how it would play out and what was in our best interest. Finally, James ended the discussion on a May 3 after saying, none of this shit matters if we lose though. We all got quiet because we collectively understood the gravity and the truth of that statement. When we started talking again, we talked about the amazing fast break dunk Siobhan had in the game. One of the healthy competitions Siobhan and I had centered around our dunking abilities and showmanship. As many times as I dunked that season, rarely were they done with flair. Siobhan was shorter than me, but his dunks ignited our team and made the crowd jump from their seats. The best was during the fast break when he jumped off one foot, cradled the ball, and dunked it over his shoulder. It was literally the exclamation mark at the end of our season's highlight reel. It hit me then that as much as I talked about it, I had never pulled off a dunk even close to his in a game. Back to April 22nd. In the locker room, 
our coach spoke about the importance of focusing on our game because the only way to secure the spot would be the first win. Throughout that year, we became better and better at focusing on compartmentalizing the game. What did that mean for us? Instead of focusing on winning the game, we focused on winning each quarter. This made the bigger task seem small and easier to accomplish. We walked into that game focused and it showed immediately. We let it have time and decided to stay focused on our game instead of checking the scores of others. We went back out in limbo, once again coming to grips with the fact that this could be our last game. In the fourth and final quarter, Siobhan and I broke out on a two-on-one fast break after a turnover by the other team. Because I was ahead, Siobhan threw the lob towards the rim for an alley-oop, but the ball slipped from his hand at the last second. In midair, I caught the ball with two hands close to my stomach, directly under the basket. In a split second, my mind had a choice to make. Come down with the ball safely, then lay it up, or try to complete the play before my feet hit the floor. At this point, I was looking straight at the fans and my hair was skimming the bottom of the net. Without consciously thinking, I lowered the ball to gain momentum and dunked it behind my head. In disbelief, I came down not knowing if I had missed it or dunked it. And then I saw my team's face. The crowd erupted. I opened my arms and ran down the floor mocking the airplane before dapping Siobhan and getting back on defense. A few minutes later, we got called out of the game and received a standing ovation from the crowd that watched us grow all season long. We sat on the bench laughing and joking as the game wound down and our team secured the win. Something changed in me that day. I had a new sense of fearlessness and appreciation for the present. It was something I had worked on for all year in mental exercises, reading, and on the basketball court. And in that moment, I felt I had mastered it. I could be the player I thought I was, and I was more than excited for how this new me would play the game. We walked into the locker room and immediately got the news. The 14 parlay was over, and we had landed in ninth place, one spot away from the playoff berth. That night, we celebrated with the most passionate and drunk fan base in Poland and enjoyed each other's company for the last time. It was bittersweet, but one thing for certain is that we were all present. A week later, I touched down at JFK Airport, happy to be home for the first time in a year. In my mind, it was quick math. The plan was to take some time off and then start getting ready for NBA workouts at the end of the month. I had made the Sixers summer league team the previous year and had come home sharper than ever. I started putting plans in place to shoot my first show, Stay Tuned with D-Ray on Villanova's campus in an attempt to build my resume for when I retire from basketball. I'll explain in full detail why this never came to fruition in the last chapter, but long story short is, I got injured right when I got home. When I got the call from the doctor about my MIR results, the first thought that popped in my head was that that dunk and the irony that I had finally pulled it off in my last game. In August, I started working at the last place I thought I'd be a year after graduating, my alma mater, Villanova. While playing, I made it clear I didn't want to coach, but as a director of player development, I didn't have much of a choice. But for all the newfound frustrations, the biggest was not being able to use my newfound abilities to excel in the game that I loved. 
During the COVID-19 pandemic, I got a chance to watch the critically acclaimed Pixar film, Soul. To spoil it, Joe, a music teacher, who's never satisfied, finally gets what he thinks is his quote-unquote big break, the chance to play with a professional band. While bragging about the opportunities to his friends, he falls down a manhole and dies. Detached from his body and in spiritual limbo, he realizes he spent his life displeased and lonely because of his inability to be present. He fights his way back to life and plays the event with the professional band like he had always dreamt of doing. Afterwards, he walks outside feeling empty and confides in the band's leader that he thought that that night would be more meaningful. She responds, I heard this story about a fish. He swims up to an older fish and says, I'm trying to find this thing they call the ocean. The ocean, the older fish says, that's what you're in right now. This, says the young fish, this is water. What I want is the ocean. Joe's face dropped, and so did mine. I realized in that moment that of all my mistakes, my biggest was not being present, and more importantly, grateful. In Poland, I wanted nothing more than a breakthrough that would catapult me into a bright future I'd imagined for myself. That day, I realized I'd been right in the middle of it, and instead of cherishing it, I kept chasing a moment that would make me feel exactly how Joe felt when he heard the story about the fish. All the lessons I had gathered, including the fearlessness that Dunk had taught me to move with, may have not been for basketball, but that didn't mean they were a waste. We never know when we won't get another chance to say thank you. We never know where life will take us next. But we do know that the only thing that's constant is change. So let's be thankful for the moment and see how life awards us in the future. That night, I wrote a mantra that would serve as a program in the center of me when I was feeling ungrateful. If I look too far back, I may become sad of what was. If I look too far ahead, I may become anxious of what could be. But if I look at this moment, I only see a gift. That's why it's called the present. I realize as I'm reading this, this is like a great value ripoff of Shifu from Kung Fu Panda, but y'all get the point. Getting thanked makes us feel useful, as it should. At the end of the day, we all want to feel important. But what about making others feel important? Does that weigh any less on our conscience? Give thanks for your rainy days and your sunny ones alike, because both of them will help you grow. Both of them will also undoubtedly come, so why not find a way to enjoy them all? Living in the present means being thankful for it, regardless of how our mind foresees the effects it will have on the future. Sometimes a rainy day is exactly what a plant wants. Other times, it's exactly what a plant needs. Start planting seeds today. Not because tomorrow isn't guaranteed, but because today is a gift you won't get back. Gratitude is indeed the wine for the soul. Drink until you're full and watch how it transforms your life.